0: I thank God every day that I made this decision. And, you know, yeah, I mean, this is not easy. We work very hard as clinicians every single day, but this is one of the best decisions I've ever made.
1: Each and every day across the country, there are thousands of incredible Centria technicians and clinicians providing ABA therapy to individuals with autism. And this show is about telling their stories and the stories of our tireless staff that support this powerful mission. I'm your host, Timothy Yeager, and this is the Do Wonders Podcast. And Welcome back to another episode of the Do Wonders Podcast. This week, you'll meet Angela Cater, a supervising clinician in the Detroit area. You're going to hear what happens when the drive of a parent to provide what's best for their child meets what Skinner calls the first principle of scientific methodologists. When you run into something interesting, you drop everything else and study it. Excited to get to talk to you today, Angela.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. How about you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and uh, what you do at Centria, and how long you've been doing it?
0: I've been at Centria for a little over a year. Um, I'm a board certified behavior analyst. I came into the field after my son was diagnosed with autism. Um, After the first day of ABA therapy, there, I I wanted to learn everything I could about. (sighs) Uh, the science of behavior analysis. So I decided to, uh, receive my master's in behavior analysis from Western Michigan.
1: Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, who, who were some professors at Western Michigan that you, you know, kind of mentored you and guided you through your program?
0: Well, Dr. Jonathan Baker is a huge mentor for me. Um, and I'm so grateful to have had him as a professor. I still contact him. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Frequently.
1: <laughs> what was your undergraduate degree in?
0: Uh, business, marketing, oh, wow. sales. So my background is not in a psychology or behavior. Um, I had a very successful sales career and um, you know really thrived uh, in that industry. And then you know I, I I knew I wanted to receive a master's, but um, I I I was going to actually. Uh, get my MBA, but then when Michael was diagnosed, I decided to uh, switch careers.
1: Fascinating to me, I can understand like the motivating context around like wanting to understand more, but to be able to throw your whole career into it, how do you think that that's impacted your role as a clinician um, with that being how you started in the field?
0: Well, you know, as a mother, I think you know I can really empathize with uh, the families that I'm working with. And, um, I'm really huge on advocating for our children, especially in schools and, uh, receiving the proper treatment. So, you know, I, have said, I, I always say this every minute wasted is something we can't get back, especially in ABA therapy. So receiving the, the right, um, kind of therapy is really important because as we all know, um, it's better to receive no ABA than bad ABA.
1: Yeah. So. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about advocacy is what you said. Um, and if you don't mind putting your parent hat on for this conversation, um, not that that's ever a hat one takes off, um, but like what was um, going through the process of getting services for your son and, and, and maybe you shed some light on that, that process.
0: You know, I I consider us to be extremely lucky with services with Michael because, oh, what year was it? I, I want to say 2011 was um, when he received his official diagnosis. I might be wrong on that date. Um, we immediately started Googling what is the best therapy out there for, you know, uh, autism and. Uh, ABA therapy was the only proven evidence-based practice out there. Uh, And we were very fortunate to have found a a random clinic uh, in Detroit. And, you know, thinking back, I I did not know what a BCABA was. I did not know what a BCBA was. I just knew I had to get help for my son. And at that time... (laughs) Uh, James Macon was our tech, but he he was a BC ABA. So thinking back, like we were extremely lucky that Michael received top-notch uh, ABA therapy early on, and we saw results immediately. Um, so it wasn't really hard to get him the services initially. I just wanted him to receive as many hours as he could early
1: on. That's a pretty full circle moment eventually when James Macon was the tech and now he's
0: the he yeah. you know, he's
1: That's pretty awesome. Yeah. So transferring now, so you go to, you go to graduate school, go to Western Michigan, which is, you know, one of the top schools in behavior analysis. Um, what were your first experiences in the field? outside of being a mother
0: you know um I went into this field blind I did not know what reinforcement was what punishment was what a consequence was you know um I I came from a background of sales and marketing so it was almost like learning a new language when I entered into the program um I was fortunate they allowed me into the program because I think I was the only one in our cohort that did not have a background in behavior analysis. I had never even worked as a tech. I was just a mother with passion, and I wanted to learn everything there was about applied behavior analysis, Um, not only to help my son, but to help every um, child that I work with.
1: It reminds me of a Skinner quote. Um, when you run into something interesting, drop everything else and study it. And you kind of just dropped your life and studied the science.
0: Pretty much. Pretty much.
1: So what was your first job in the field?
0: Um, Well, I worked as a tech um, at a clinic. And my first child in my caseload was an Mm. 18-month-old little boy. And that was really interesting because, I mean, I I basically had a baby that I was working one-on-one with, and um, I saw that applying these principles early on, he was learning skills very quickly, um, which was, you know, reinforcing for me. Um, For sure. And then I moved on to work with, um, you know, different age groups. Um, So I worked with 18-month-olds all the way up to uh, 21 age. The wide range. Yeah,
1: really wide range. So when did you start working for Centria?
0: Um, a little over a year ago. I kind of hesitated coming to Centria only because my son was thriving and I didn't want to ruin anything for him. Um, but I, I I, always wanted to work for Centria and I'm so glad. I've never been happier. I'm so glad I um, it came to this amazing company.
1: What, what's a perfect day for you as a supervising clinician? <laughs>
0: Is there a perfect day?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, close to perfect. Uh, What's a good day? At the end of the day, when you look back and say, that was a good day, what what is a good day?
0: Seeing the progress in a child, um, whether it be that child saying their first word or decreasing a problem behavior. All of these little steps are huge successes for me. It's what keeps me going. Um, Just seeing how desperate. Uh, these families are to get their children communicating or reducing problem behaviors. That's what keeps me going.
1: Yeah. Those, those stories are, those, those are powerful. Yes. Um, Our science is lawful and it's explainable. And like, you Mm -hmm. know, we, we like take data and we understand it, but sometimes it's like it comes across like magic, Mm -hmm. right? Like the outcomes that we can, we can see are pretty powerful. In, in the science, can you talk about maybe even your role as a supervising clinician? Um, what, what's a lesson that you've had to learn?
0: Always rely on the science and research. Don't just base it off something random. Um, if, if you're not sure of something, ask your peers, ask supervisors, ask professors, um, just to get some sort of advice rather than diving into something you're not 100% sure of. Yeah. That's, a
1: great, that's a great point. I, I think asking for help mm-hmm. is, is powerful because, as you spoke earlier about, um, time is precious.
0: Yes. And we don't know everything as clinicians. Nope. You know, the science of behavior analysis is just very complex. And, you know, we can't always act like we know everything. You know, it doesn't matter what school you went to. There's always something new to learn. And not being afraid to ask, I think, is a big deal.
1: I agree. I, I think that speaks to humility. Mm-hmm. And when you think about the time that we don't have to waste mm-hmm. the selection of a, you know, the, the wrong tactic or yeah. decision um, on, on a program, you know, uh, could have lasting mm-hmm. impact.
0: Usually impact a child. Okay.
1: Yeah. So when when you're in sales and you drop everything, you study the science and and you look back at that decision, um, what jumps out at you? Like, what do you think about? Like,
0: what jumps? Well, (laughs) coming from sales to this is completely different. Uh, This is a whole different beast.
1: (laughs) Yeah, for sure.
0: I thank God every day that I made this decision, and you know, yeah, I mean, this is not easy. We work very hard as clinicians every single day, but this is one of the best decisions I've ever made Mm. because I am able to apply the science um, in everyday life. I mean, it's all around you. It's not only in the clinic. It's everywhere. I use these techniques on my husband.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Try doing that when your fiance is also a BCBA and she can understand. (laughs) Counter control is a real thing.
0: Yeah, you're a little too smart for me because, you know, telling me now, oh, are you using uh, your behavior analytic techniques on me? (laughs) I
1: think that's one thing we want our listeners to take away is that uh, ABA is not just a set of tools for children with autism, right? It's it's built on a a science that attempts to explain all behavior, all. Mm -hmm.
0: Of and human and that in sales, we apply these principles all the time. I mean, when, when I did new home sales, just realizing what is motivating for these buyers and yeah. without realizing I was using, you know, behavior yep. analysis.
1: Yep. So I think that that transitions a little bit to what I want to talk to you today about. You know, we say we study behavior and oftentimes what people think about behavior is what they see right? What a, what someone, what it looks like when someone's doing something, right? Also, sometimes people say, use the word behavior to only describe behaviors that, you know, don't work in a community, like maladaptive or challenging behaviors. They might say that this, this client has behaviors. Well, we all have behavior. We all do behavior. We all admit behavior. Um, but as behavior analysts, we study what's called an operant. And an operant encompasses that behavior, but it also includes things that we call antecedents, Mm -hmm. which are things that happen before a behavior and it includes consequences, which are things that happen after a behavior. And also it's kind of encapsulated with this thing called motivating conditions or motivating operations. And so as behavior analysts and as Angela, you know, and all the work that she does with her technicians and clients it's more about, it's more than just like what someone does. It's the conditions in which they do them. Right. And so, um, I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about, um, motivating conditions in the opera operant. And that's something you just brought up in sales. So we're going to go down that direction. I'm also putting Angela on the spot here, guys. So, (laughs) so, um, this is how learning occurs. So (laughs) let's talk about those sales when you're selling homes. I think that's a, a, a cool topic to talk about. Um, what's driving a buyer? Like, what are those motivating conditions that will lead to the behaviors that we want to, you know, provide some type of consequence to? So someone walks into your house, or someone walks into a sales floor oh, and wants to buy a house, Yeah, I'm at a model
0: home. So with us, um, well, we use uh, hot buttons as tactics determining what is our hot button, whether it's mm. you know safety, whether it's family, whether whatever it was, uh, we were asking questions to determine what that hat button was. Hmm. We based our entire sales presentation around that hat button. I love that. Yeah.
1: I think behavior analysis, we may call those values. Yes. Right. Like yeah. what, what's their values and how can we align their actions to those values? And,
0: and the way we did it was, like I said, our whole entire sales presentation was based around these hat buttons And, um, we had them basically visualize based on these hot buttons, what their life would look like in this Mm. community, in this home. Um, And it worked.
1: Yeah. I'm sure (laughs) sure it does.
0: To sell half a million dollar homes that back to a railroad track. Yeah. In less than a year.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So then if we transition that to clients and we're looking at getting clients to talk, right? So, Communication as a behavior analyst, we look at different types of functions of communication and one is called a man. And that's like when they, someone requests something they want or need or, you know, would like. And so that hot button topic is that motivating condition. Like what do they want? Yeah. Right. Right. Um, Cause it is no, it's not effective to teach a client to say cookie
0: if, if, if they
1: don't want cookies. Perfect. Right.
0: If they're full, you know,
1: yep.
0: the MO is not there. They're not going to
1: manned. Right. And if they do, and that's reinforced, that, that might have lasting consequences, mm-hmm. right? You might be teaching a completely different function yeah. of communication. And so that, that's the dance that our technicians do and our clinicians do is identifying those hot buttons throughout therapy.
0: Exactly.
1: Yeah. And that's yeah. a tough thing to do.
0: Yeah, it is. You know, and I, I always tell my technicians constantly do those preference assessments. You know, sometimes they may want to, they may want a cookie, but maybe they want to kickhead instead. You just don't know yeah. until you conduct preference assessments. Yep. Continue.
1: Or maybe they want to be left alone for a little bit, or maybe <laughs> they want to, you know, high fives
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or tickles.
1: Um, or tickles, yeah. Um, I, I I use the metaphor of dancing a lot, and I think the work that we do is. Um, that relationship is like dancing with someone that we, we move together through life in this way and our behaviors are being shaped by each other. And so our technician and our, and our clients are working together in this way. And if you're not sensitive to those hot buttons or those motivating conditions, um, it's like dancing with someone and just stomp it on their feet mm-hmm. and expecting them to move. Right. And you're not, you know, moving with them and learning from their behavior. And our technicians play a powerful role and, and our clinicians in supporting those technicians and like being able to identify those key um, points to where that hot button's out there. You're, you're, you're barking up the wrong tree. Like Definitely. you are, you're in a power struggle that you're not going to win if, if motivating conditions are not present. Definitely. So I will end it with this. An establishing operation is a motivating condition. And here's your definition of the week. So an establishing operation is a condition that does two things. It alters the power of a consequence. And it increases the likelihood of a behavior that met that um, EO previously to occur. So if you're thirsty for water and you have not drank water in a while, that first sip of water tastes better than any other sip, right? Right. It, it tastes so much better than if you're like, I have with me a gallon water jug that I drink every day. Mm-hmm. When I'm thirsty, that first sip tastes good. That, you know, half a gallon in, it's a, it's a struggle, yeah. right? It, it doesn't is. taste as well. Um, also, when you're thirsty, you're more likely to do the things that would have, you know, uh, met that thirst previously. And so when we're working with clients, those EOs are something that we're powerful because we're not only teaching a kid to communicate with us as technicians or clinicians, we're wanting them to learn that establishing operation, that motivating condition. We want them to learn that when I'm hungry for a cookie in the future, in the presence of someone who can provide me a cookie, if I say cookie, I'll get cookie. Yeah. It, it, that
0: Their words are powerful.
1: Powerful. Yeah. To impact a community of people is, is incredibly important. And I would say this, Angela. Your words are powerful. Um, Your role here at Centria as a clinician and your your perspective as a mother um, has only impressed me, but impressed others. And so I appreciate you taking the time here.
0: I I honestly, I've said this before, but I'm so grateful to the company. Uh, You know, as you know, Classroom Advantage was started because of my son, and it's just been an amazing experience. And to see how that has grown uh, to. To many families nationwide, that's just really impressive.
1: Um, so I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. I'm gonna end. I we're gonna end it with your words. And here's the last question: What's your why? What drives you every day? What motivates you? What's What's, what's your hot button as a supervising clinician?
0: My hot button and I get to react to it, is it's for these kids. They don't have a voice, or their voice. And I will continue to fight, whether it's meeting with legislators or whatever it's going to take. I will talk to everyone who will listen.
1: Well, thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me, Angela.
0: Well, thank you so much for having me.
1: And that concludes another episode of us telling the stories of our incredible staff and their work. To support our powerful mission. Till next week, do wonders.